0: Meidinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. It has been a while since we have been together on the podcast. I took off most of October after finishing up our Praying for Our Kids as They Head Back to School series. And then I myself just had to focus on school as I am a full-time substitute teacher in the Fargo Public Schools. And now I am back with you for the month of November. For the month of November, we are going to look at God's Heart for the unloved woman. We're gonna look at four different women from the Bible who are unloved in their experience. And what I mean by that is we know that nobody is unloved because God loves everybody far more than we could possibly imagine or think. And yet the experience of being unloved is a devastatingly common experience. And so we're going to look at four women in the scriptures that it seems as though they feel unloved. And in fact, the first woman that we are going to look at today, the text actually tells us that God saw that she was unloved. So that is where the name for this series is coming from, and we're going to look at God's heart for her. God's heart for the one who feels like she is unloved. God's heart for the one whose daily experience tells her that she is unloved i see this in kids as i work at the public schools i just see so many kids who i can i can see in them that their daily experience is that they are not well loved maybe they wouldn't put into words nobody loves me but you can tell that they do not feel well loved and they don't know what it is to be well loved and it breaks my heart. It's devastating and it has been true of humankind for all of the ages of humankind that at times in our lives we might feel unloved. And of course, what we wanna do in those experiences or for the people who have those experiences, for those that we love so dearly, who feel like they are unloved, we want to first of all show them our love and affirm them in our love but more importantly is to bring them closer to the heart of God to so they can experience and see his love for them. And that is the case of the women that we are going to meet in the next 4 weeks. So, continuing on with that series we started last summer, do you see this woman? This is an extension of that, and we're going to talk about God's heart for the woman who is unloved. All right. So to start out with, we are going to talk about a woman named Leah. She is one of my favorite women in the Bible. I am so moved by her story. She is absolutely critical to the eventual coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see that as we get to the end of our account for today. And she's she's, she's breathtaking to me because her experience is so raw and it's so real. And when we read the story on the page, we might not pause long enough to really see all the detail that the story really is giving us about her emotions and how she feels. But if we slow down and take our time through the account, we can see that the heart of this woman is broken and In the core of her being, she is aching to to be known and to be loved and to be understood. And what's so wonderful is that she is so real and she is so timeless because the heart of a woman has always been the heart of a woman. It hasn't changed. Circumstances have changed. Technology has changed. Relationships have changed. Many, many things have changed in the last 4,000 years since dear Leah lived. But the heart of a woman has not changed. When I have taught women and girls at conferences, teen girls, adult women, more than any other woman in the Bible that I have ever taught, women resonate with Leah. I have had teen girls come up to me after... A speaking event saying i'm leah leah's story is my story everything about how leah felt is how i feel i have had adult women divorced women widowed women married women single women come up to me and say i'm leah one time at a conference that i spoke at and i was speaking on several different women one of them being Leah, a woman stood up during like a sharing testimony time near the end of the conference. And she told the whole group, she said, I'm Leah. I am the unloved wife. I am the unwanted wife. And she shared her story. And it was heartbreaking and beautiful, so beautiful, because through this ancient text, 4,000 years old, this woman, just a few years ago, was able to understand God's love for her through the story of Leah. And the story of her own story in 2016, I think that was, and the story from about 2000 BC, they were so similar that this dear woman said, This is me. I'm Leah. This is my story. It's just incredible. It's incredible. And so I pray that the words of Scripture will speak true to you as well today and that you will resonate deeply with them. Whether or not you've ever had a Leah experience, we all know women who have had Leah experiences. And I would say, too, we all know men who've had Leah experiences, experiences of being unwanted and rejected. And so I pray that God would open our eyes today To those we love dearly who feel unloved, and let us reach them with the love of God. Let us reach them with the love of God. All right, so today we're gonna read Leah's story. It's found in Genesis chapter 29. Leah is a sister to a, a more well known woman in the Bible named Rachel. Leah is maybe talked about a little bit less than Rachel. Uh, both of them are going to end up marrying a man named Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. So if that helps you understand kind of where we are in the story of God's people, it started in Genesis 12 with Abraham and Sarah. Then Isaac marries Rebekah. They have Esau and Jacob. This story is going to follow with Jacob, and we're going to hear about Jacob's love story. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 29, and I am going to read to you starting at verse 14. What has happened so far is that Jacob is going to the land of his uncle Laban, and he meets Laban's daughter Rachel at a well. And he's so excited and happy to find his relative. And then Laban invites Jacob to stay at his house. So in verse 14, Laban says to Jacob, You are indeed my own flesh and blood. So Jacob stayed with Laban for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Should you work for me for nothing just because you're my relative? Tell me what your wage should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older one was named Leah and the younger one was named Rachel. Leah's eyes were tender, but Rachel had a lovely figure and a beautiful appearance. Okay, so I'm reading out of the NET, the New English Translation, and in the NIV, the New International Version, it says that Leah had weak eyes. Nobody nobody I've ever heard really totally understands what it means, that she had weak eyes, that Leah had weak eyes. Um, Here in one of the study notes, it says maybe it means that her eyes were very plain, not having a lot of brightness in them. But either way, since it's, it's comparing Leah's tender or weak eyes with Rachel, who had a lovely figure and was beautiful, Whatever this phrase means about Leah's eyes, we're not really sure, but certainly there's a comparison that Rachel is the more beautiful of the two sisters. At least in Jacob's view. We don't, mean, maybe that comes just from Jacob's viewpoint. Verse 18 says, Since Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel, he said, I will serve you seven years in exchange for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, well, I'd rather give her to you than some other man. (laughs) Stay with me. So Jacob worked for seven years to acquire Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her was so great. Oh, isn't that romantic? They seemed like just a few days to him because his love for her was so great. Verse 21, finally Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my time of service is up and I want to sleep with her. Okay, that cracks me up because because Laban is not only his uncle, But also, Laban is his future father-in-law. And he just says, I want to sleep with her. In the NIV, that was out of the New English Translation. In the NIV, it says, I want to make love to her. And it's just, I just am like, how could he possibly say that to the dad of the woman? He is going to marry. In In the English Standard Version, it says Laban said or Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife so that I may go into her. Very graphic. Interesting, all these things that Jacob chooses to say to his future father-in-law. But Laban, you know, cultures are different. And Laban doesn't seem to have a problem with this at all. When I'm teaching this, when I'm reading this story and teaching like at a teen girls conference, I always remind them that this is very good actually because it tells us that they did not have sex before they were married. He asks Laban, give me my wife so that I can have sex with her. And so at least, even though the language is a little bit vulgar, at least he has waited until marriage. Unfortunately, the story goes downhill from there. It says, verse 22, So Laban invited all of the people of that place and prepared a feast. In the evening, he brought his daughter Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In the morning, Jacob discovered that it was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What in the world have you done to me? Didn't I work for you in exchange for Rachel? Why have you tricked me? It is not our custom here, Laban replied, to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete my older daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in exchange for seven more years of work. Okay, so let's pause right there and just let's just try to think about what is happening here. So they have a big banquet there is probably a lot of wine at the banquet, as there usually were at weddings. And Jacob probably drank some of that wine. And he goes to the marriage tent that night. And he doesn't realize that the woman in the tent that he's having sex with is not Rachel. Now, it might be easy for us to think, how could he not know? Like, How could he not know that this is the wrong woman? Well, let, let's think about a few things here. First of all, he may have been drinking some wine that night. Second of all, he has never been physically intimate with Rachel at this point. So if we're just going by the feel of the body or um, any, any intimacies that you come to know about each other through sexual intimacies, he doesn't know that yet. He's not been with her in that way. And so... Those are two of the reasons. But then also, they did not have modern lighting. Did they possibly take a candle into the marriage tent? Maybe. Maybe not. So those are all ways that he might realistically had no clue that it was uh, the wrong woman in his tent. But now I want to think about Leah. Because somehow Leah got into the tent. And this is the part that really breaks my heart. Is that... Leah went along with this plan. Okay, so as we're going to see, and actually as we already did see, Jacob knows that he is going to get another marriage week. Like after this week, he's going to get to marry Rachel and he'll have a glorious week in the marriage tent with Rachel. He gets another chance. Leah is a woman and this is her one chance. Unless she is widowed or divorced, both both scenarios terrible for a woman of this time because she is dependent on her husband or her father to care for her in this culture so both of those scenarios would be devastating for her and unless that happens this is her only marital week her only one this is her honeymoon her one and only chance and i don't know if she is you know now that we live in this hallmark culture that totally elevates romance I don't know if she, as a girl, dreamed of being loved and dreamed of her husband and dreamed of uh, a perfect wedding and a honeymoon. And, you know, I don't know if she had a fantasy about that as a young girl because their culture was certainly not as fixed on romance as our culture is today. But somehow this woman, this dear, dear woman, was convinced probably by her father that this is the best you can do, Leah. The best you can do is to trick somebody into marrying you. Nobody's ever gonna marry you. This is our best shot is to trick somebody who maybe is drunk, doesn't have any lights on, and doesn't know the difference between you and your sister. This is our best shot to get you married off, to get you provided for so that when I die, you have provision for the rest of your life. This is her only shot. Go into the marriage tent. I don't think that Leah was forced into this. There's no indication of that at all. It sounds like she went willingly, but that means that she had to somehow agree that this was her best shot. That her best shot was to take advantage, to fool, to deceive, because nobody's ever going to love me. Nobody's gonna love me. I'm gonna have to do it this way. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that she was convinced that this was the best plan. And then she wakes up in the morning and she might, she might have a hope inside of her that Jacob would look at her and think, Oh, it was you? Oh my goodness, that was an amazing night together. I love you, I didn't know how much I loved you. I can't wait to spend the rest of the week with you. I had no idea it was you, what an amazing surprise. Like maybe somewhere deep down inside of her, she's hoping for a reaction like that. And instead in the morning, the worst reaction possible, what in the world have you done to me? Didn't I work for you in exchange for Rachel? Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. And you just have to think during the night as well, during their time of intimacy, if Jacob was saying a name out loud, he was saying Rachel's name. Oh, and, and Leah's heart must have just shattered. So Laban is like, well, it's just the custom. You know, the younger daughter has to get married off before the older daughter. Laban honestly thinks he's doing the right thing for his daughter. He thinks, look, my job is to get my daughter married off well. Jacob is a good man. Jacob will take care of my daughter. It's, it's just, I'm just trying to do the best I can. So Laban honestly thinks he's doing the best thing he can. I don't think that he means to be cruel and unloving. It comes across extremely cruel and unloving, but I don't think that's his intention. And then he just says, complete my older daughter's bridal week. So for an entire week, like the marriage festiv- festivities go on for seven days. A lot of that involves the marital tent with just Jacob and Leah. But then there's also still celebration with other people and you have to act happy and you have to pretend everything's okay. And it must have been so hard for Leah. And you know what if going around the festivities, talking to people over a meal or whatever, what if she overheard Jacob saying things like, yeah, it was terrible. I woke up and it was Leah, but it's okay because next week I get Rachel and I just got to get through this week. I mean, can you imagine that being what you overhear about your bridal week, about your honeymoon, that it's just a week we have to get through before he can get the woman he actually loves? so sad. It's so sad. Okay, but let's go on. So now I'm going to start at verse 28. So Jacob did as Laban said, when Jacob completed Leah's bridal week, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilha to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. Jacob slept with Rachel as well, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Then he worked for Laban for another seven years. All right, I just want to clear up a misunderstanding. I have looked at many different translations. It's often thought that he had to work for another seven years before he got to marry Rachel. In every translation I look at, it's very clear that he got Rachel like next week. And then after he married Rachel, he worked for another seven years. Okay, let's get to verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. that. That is where the title for this chapter of the series came from, God's heart for the unloved woman. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to become pregnant while Rachel remained childless. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Reuben for she said, the Lord has looked with pity on my oppressed condition. Surely my husband will love me now. All right, that is from the NET, and I want to share with you what it says out of the NIV. It says, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. So either way you read it out of the NET or the NIV, the NET, let me read that again. She named him Reuben because she said the Lord has looked with pity on her oppressed condition. And the NIV says, the Lord has seen my misery. So this gives us insight into her heart. Her heart feels like she is under oppressed conditions. And she feels like she is in misery. She is miserable. She is a woman whose experience is that she is unloved. Her husband does not love her. Yes, he will sleep with her probably only when she's ovulating, because he wants sons. He wants sons to carry on the family. And so he will keep sleeping with her every month when she's ovulating, but only to carry on his family name, not because he loves her or cherishes her or treasures her. And she is going through the motions with him because she also wants sons to carry on the family, She needs sons as well, so that when her husband dies, those sons will then care for her. And she sees, like right now, she sees her only value, her only value being in her ability to bear children. That is also so devastating. Breaks my heart. Leah thinks her only value, since it's not going to come from a man loving her, her value better come from Bearing children. She sees that as her only purpose in life at this point. So devastating. And she thinks that when she has this baby, Reuben, that surely my husband will love me now. Verse 33. She became pregnant again and she had another son. She said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. The Lord knows that I'm unloved. So this is at least a year later. After the birth of Reuben, she gets pregnant again, gives birth to another son a year later. So let's say there was three months in between when she gave birth to Reuben till when she conceived Simeon. I mean, that would be a really quick turnaround, especially if she was nursing. I mean, of course, I mean, of course she was nursing. And we know that you can get pregnant when you're nursing, but it's less likely. So it might have been a couple years later. And she, um, she still, she still feels unloved. She's still in misery. She still feels like she's in oppressed conditions and she still feels unloved. So years are passing at this point. Verse 34, and she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me. Now at last my husband will become attached to me. Okay, that's the NIV. And out of the N-E-T, it says, now this time my husband will show me affection because I have given birth to three sons for him. That is why she named his name Levi. All right, so she wants to be noticed She wants affection. She wants her husband to show some attachment to her. Now we know through science now that she is becoming very attached to him through oxytocin. Oxytocin is the attachment drug. It is the love chemical in our brains. And it does a number of things to bond families, to bond mom and newborn baby through nursing, um, to bond even friends together. But it also in greater, in a, in a greater way, bonds a man and a woman when they're having sex through the through the release of oxytocin in their brain, which is released. It's released at great quantities during orgasm. I'm sorry to be graphic, but it's released at great at greater quantities during orgasm. To and it's it's a bonding chemical. That's what it does. It's a trusting hormone, and it causes the woman to trust the man with whom she's having sex and vice versa but the bond is stronger for from woman to man the man's bond grows more slowly but designed by God if you think about it if a marriage is going to last 50 or 60 years and the man's bond towards the woman grows a little bit more slowly than the woman's bond towards a man that is not destructive in a in a marriage that's going to last for the long haul. But if Jacob is having sex with other women, as we know he is, he is also bonding with Rachel, and he's bonding with the two maidservants. We eventually find out that he's sleeping with them as well because it was very culturally accepted and appropriate, or not appropriate, but accepted. It was culturally accepted for a man to bear children through the maidservants of his wife. And so he's having sex with the maidservants as well. Now we know that he's bonding with them through oxytocin as well. And so, of course, his bond with Leah is way less than her bond with him. Because for one thing, it grows more slowly in a man. That part's okay. That's okay. That should not break a marriage the the slower bond like that's okay but the fact that he's bonding with these other women as well of course his bond is way less for leah than hers is for him and he is not attaching to her he is not showing affection to her he is not loving her and her heart is breaking because of this so each time she has a baby she thinks now he's gonna love me oh my goodness If I could count the times, I haven't done girls' conferences in a long time, I used to do a lot of teen girls' conferences, and if I could count the times that a girl told me that either she or a friend thought if they started having sex, or if they were having sex and if she got pregnant, then he would love her. Then he'll love me. He'll love me. He'll be connected to us because we'll have a baby together. It's so sad. It's so sad. It's the story of Leah. It's the story of Leah. She wants her husband to connect to her, to attach to her, to affectionate towards her, and he is just not. Okay, verse 35. Leah became pregnant again. Okay, so several years have passed. This is baby number four. Leah became pregnant again, and she had another son. And she said this time. I will praise the Lord. That is why she named him Judah and she stopped having children. This time I will praise the Lord. Baby number four, this time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. It took four babies, but finally Leah got to a place where she said, Okay, you know what? I'm done looking for the affection of this man. And instead, I'm going to turn my affections towards my Heavenly Father, who maybe by this point she had realized he loves me, He cares for me. He is providing for me. He is the provider of all my needs. Not Jacob. Not these sons that I'm having. Not my father Laban. My heavenly father is the one who is providing for all my needs. He's the one who sees my brokenness. He is the one who loves me. And this time, I will praise the Lord. I will stop looking for my answer in a human man. I'm not going to find my answers or my needs. I'm not going to be completed by a human man. I am going to be completed by God himself. He's the only one who can complete me. God himself. I'm going to praise him. And that baby, dear friends, that baby, Judah, is the one who will carry the line of Christ. When Leah said, this time I will praise the Lord, that baby carries the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Leah found all of her fulfillment in God himself. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Dear friend, if this is you, If you feel like you're Leah, and let me tell you, married women can feel like this too. I don't know one married woman who doesn't have times where she feels unloved. She feels disconnected. She feels unattached. She feels like there's no affection coming her way. Married women feel like this as well. You know, I I have a wonderful marriage, so I don't know the brokenheartedness of those whose marriages Fall apart of those who have been hurt deeply in their marriages, of those whose marriages have ended in divorce, uh, of those who have been widowed and just ache for what was taken away from them. I don't know that pain. I am sorry. I want you to hear me. I am sorry for that pain, and I don't want to claim to understand that at all. I have a wonderful marriage. I also have a human marriage. And we hurt each other. And there have been lots and lots and lots of times in our marriage that we have been deeply hurt by one another. We have been in counseling sessions. And we have asked for forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And I have learned, even in my marriage, where I am well-loved, I am a well-loved woman, and even in my marriage – I know that if I am looking for all of my affection and attachment and belovedness to come from my human husband, that is a weight on him that he was not meant to bear. He he is not responsible for all of my emotions. He is not responsible to make me feel good about myself all the time. He is not responsible to meet all of my emotional needs because there is no way that he can. There is no way that any human being can complete me. There is no way that any human being can complete you. The only one who can complete any of us is God himself. Those of us who grew up in the 90s and we fell in love with Jerry Maguire because Tom Cruise said to Renee Zellweger, You complete me. We were fed a lie, dear friends, a lie. That is a lie. Renee Zellweger did not complete Jerry Maguire at all. God completes us, and only God can complete us. And Leah learned this lesson through four babies. And four babies later, she said this time, I'm going to praise the Lord because the Lord loves me. The Lord sees me. The Lord knows me. The Lord is attached to me. The Lord will be affectionate towards me. I'm going to turn to the Lord and stop turning towards human beings to be the source of the love that I want to receive. Let it be from God. God's love is perfect. God's love is gentle. God's love is affectionate. God's love is merciful. God's love is lavish. Let him be the source of all the love that you are seeking, that you are, that you are aching for. Let God be the source of that. He so wants to be. He so wants to be. He so desires us to stop looking for out- outward sources to be loved by, and he wants us to come to him for that. He has so much love to give. He wants to lavish his love on us. First John uh, 3, 1 says, Look what love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be children of God. And that is what we are. God wants to lavish you with love. And dear friend, I just want you to let him. So what does that mean? And what does that look like? Maybe it means sitting down in the sunshine and lifting your face up to the sunshine. And maybe it means that you just let yourself sit with the love of God pouring over you. And if you're able to find passages in the scriptures where God is speaking love over you, go to the Psalms and read about the love of God. Go to the crucifixion story and read about Jesus dying on the cross because he loves you. Because he loves you. Open up to any of Paul's letters and read about the love of God that that, um, loved you to such a degree that he gave his son up for you. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul is praying that you would know the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God. I want to read over you just one simple verse from the prophet Zephaniah. And this could be a verse that maybe you post in a place that you love to sit, in a place that you're going to say, okay, this is where I'm going to sit and receive the love of God for five minutes every day. Five minutes to let yourself be loved and be held uh, in the love of God. And this verse is Zephaniah 3.17 and it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, He will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. You have a God who doesn't want to rebuke you. We've all been rebuked enough, right? You have a God who wants to take great delight in you. And he wants to rejoice over you with singing. So dear friend, would you be like Leah? And would you say, this time I'm going to praise the Lord when you're disappointed by the lack of love that you find in anybody else, would you say this time I'm going to praise the Lord and let yourself sit in the sunshine or sit in your favorite chair, or drink your favorite cup of coffee, take a bath, do whatever it makes, whatever it takes to make you feel loved and then go over and over the scriptures Let God speak to you his own scriptures about his love for you and bask in it. Let yourself bask in the love of God. He wants to take great delight in you. Would you let him? Would you let him? All right, we will be together again next week to hear about another woman whose experiences led her to believe that she was unloved and she is going to meet the God who loves her and who sees her. I hope to, I hope you join us next week as we dive into another Dear Woman's story. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Bye.